Today on the show, Leo G. Carroll is over a barrel when Tarantula takes to the hills. It's Monster Movie Fun Time Go! <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Precious D. Welcome back, guys. Uh, today we're discussing Tarantula! Exclamation points. Yes! There's not an exclamation point on the screen, but there is one on the poster. Yes, and the poster is amazing. <laughs> is it? Yeah, he has, like, if you really look at his face and, like, zoom in, he has, like, weird teeth in between his little pinchers. Right. Well, and he doesn't have the right kind of eyes. He should have. Yeah. <laughs> he should have eight eyes. He does not. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then the girl also in the poster who is Great not pose. not carried by the tarantula at any point in the film ever <laughs> but but is in the poster i used to have this problem with comic books all the time that the cover did not accurately portray what was going on on the inside they used yeah. to yeah and and this has carried this like <laughs> has carried on into like today life with like clickbait and shit where yeah. it, like show something and you click on it because you think you're getting something and you wait and you wait and you wait and it never happens. And you got to <laughs> click all the way through this story to see the um, the animals that became friends or what this celebrity looks like now. Or Sometimes there's even a picture of a, a different celebrity from the one in the story. I've noticed. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. Boo. But yes, it did. I, it made me laugh. I love the, the poster. It was hilarious, especially because um, it doesn't really do a good job depicting the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Giant spider strikes crawling terror 100 feet high. I, I'm just going to take the poster's word for it uh, in regards to the monster's size. It's from 1955, black and white, 80 minutes, directed by Jack Arnold. Starring John Agar, first husband of Shirley Temple. Oh. And Mara Corday, showgirl, model, actress, and Playboy Playmate. Wow. She will be showing up in uh, some more, two more of the movies we'll be covering. The Black Scorpion and the Giant Claw. Ooh, that's cool. Giant Claw. The Claw. She, uh, <laughs> when I was looking... When I was looking her up, I noticed she has a website, maracorde.com. That oh, looks like oh. it has not been updated since the 90s. Oh, my gosh. I have to see this. Yes, I urge everybody to go look at maracorde.com. You can order autographed pictures from her, which I'm thinking about doing. Oh, my gosh. You might should. I get an autographed tarantula picture. Hell, Yeah. That's and, uh, hilarious. As I indicated in our intro, this is the second movie we've done that is referenced in the opening song of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. I think it will be the last one. I don't think most of the song movies in the, that song are uh, giant monster movies. 
the first one, of course, was King Kong. Mm-hmm. Something went something went wrong for Fay Ray and King Kong, and now this one. The Leo G. Carroll. Yes. Now maybe someday if we end up doing uh, a lot of bonus content, if we do a Patreon or something like that, we can uh, go through all the movies that are mentioned in that song. That would be a good bonus, I think. Yeah, totally. That would be super. Uh, so let's see. The, I have no budget for this. But the box office is 1.1. I guess that means 1.1 million. I just wrote down 1.1. Damn. Monster size, 100 feet high. It does, he grows throughout the movie. Yes, we do get to see him grow. Starts off about six feet, eight feet, and gets bigger and bigger. Not sure how. (laughs) I mean, he's, you know, it's got this super um, serum that he's, I mean, he's eating a lot of cows, but it seems like he gains a lot more mass than the amount that he's taking in. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's eating more than cows, too. He's also eating people, right? Eventually, yes. He gets around to people. I counted six human deaths and then several cows and horses. There were no cows or horses harmed in the making of this film. Hold on. I I just wrote down six, but then I, on another page... I wrote down three scientists, one rancher, two guys in truck, two campers. Mm-hmm. So that's eight. That's eight deaths and then various livestock. Damn. This is, uh, now we've had uh, stop motion. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, robots. We've had guys in suits. This is the first time they've just filmed a bug. <laughs> Done some uh, camera tricks, some some chroma key or or something like that, to just make it look like it's bigger and stalking the countryside. Yeah, which what, I will say. Well, did you like it? Did you like the? I, I think it worked fairly well. Yeah, me too. I thought it was. I thought they did a great job. It was obvious that it was like a real bug. You know, like it was very obvious that it was like real footage of something like actually moving, especially after watching like the stop animation and stuff. It was like, oh, okay, But yeah, I thought they did great. I I thought it was really they did really good. Now, there is I don't remember what the movie is, but I think it's one we're going to get to that is about giant grasshoppers or locusts. And there's, one, and there's one scene where they just appear to put the bugs on top of a postcard of a building. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think they definitely did a better job than that here in Tarantula. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, and it this, was cool. Because, you know, it, it was the real movement. So it, I thought it came across well. Yeah. But it's a new technique we have not seen so far. Uh, I gave this movie our standard racism factor of one, since there are no non-white people in it whatsoever. Boo. Uh, so let's uh, let's get into the movie itself. We start off in the desert. Let me start with the title. No mystery here, <laughs> as opposed to them. It right. These- even King Kong, we don't know what a King Kong is. We've we've had various beasts that uh, and its that it's a surprise as to what it is. But this movie tells you straight up front, tarantula. Mm-hmm. 
But for some reason, we start with some kind of an ape man in his pajamas collapsing in the desert. Yes. I was like, um, is this guy drunk? Is he? I didn't at first notice his disfigured face. It took me a minute. Well, I think they hide it for a minute. Yeah. And I, I'm not entirely sure about this part of the story because I don't think it really – I'm not sure why it's there. Mm-hmm. The the whole idea of the serum hurting people, I don't think really contributes to the story and is relevant to the main conflict of a giant tarantula. Um, but we'll find out later that this guy has been injected with a nutrient serum that causes a mutation, causes strange growth mm-hmm. in humans, but not the not growth in the same way it does in the animals. Right. So then we cut to a plane landing. I was calling this Chekhov's plane, but I'm not sure it actually turns out to be a Chekhov's plane. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. Uh-uh. Have you not heard of Chekhov's gun? Mm Mm-mm. Chekhov's gun refers to the Russian playwright Anton Chekhov. Okay. Who says in various different forms the idea that if you show a loaded gun in Act 1 that gun needs to go off by the end of the play. Oh, okay. And further, furthermore, don't don't put things that you're not going to use in your story. If it's there, it needs to be there for a reason and it needs to get used. Mm-hmm. So I thought the fact that the doctor flew his own plane was going to be a little bit more important than it turns out to be. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Because they go to a lot of trouble to show us that he flies his own plane. So I thought, oh, this is going to be integral to the resolution of the plot. But no, it just lets him get around a little faster when he's running around checking up on stuff. Yeah, he's just a cool guy. But it is other planes, as we will see. Oh, speaking of which, flying the plane at the end of the show, Clint Eastwood. What? The one pilot that we see in those planes at the end is played by Clint Eastwood. We get to see like a fourth of his face. I'm like, how he, did I miss wearing, that? He's wearing well, he's wearing a helmet and a and an <laughs> oxygen mask, and so you can only really see his eyes. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious! But once what? you know it's, you can kind of hear his voice. This is a you know very early part, so he's not even of credited. I don't think. Uh, it's wow! Just, I think he ends up making movies years later with Mara Corday. Ooh la la. So the doc uh, lands his plane. He's just delivered twins. Yeah, okay. I also, right here, would like to say I was so confused. I thought he just had twins for like <laughs> a long time. I was like, I'm serious. I was like, oh, I wonder is there not going to be like a leading lady in this movie because he just had <laughs> babies? And then, like, it took me a while to realize, like, oh, like, He's a he delivered the twins. Got it. Small town doctor who works out of the Palace Hotel. His office is in the hotel, which he drives to. And Josh, the old man working the phone, working Mm -hmm. the front desk, tells him the sheriff is half out of his mind. He wants to talk to you. I found this whole section to be kind of bad writing because. He go. He gets off the plane. He goes to his office. He gets the note, message about the sheriff. He goes to see the sheriff, and the sheriff <laughs> says, "We got to go see the Undertaker." 
why not just have somebody at the airport tell him, hey, the sheriff wants to meet him, wants you to meet him at the Undertaker's. Yeah, it was a if lot of like running around for nothing. Yeah, if it's urgent, they could have left a message at the airport. They know that's where he's going to arrive. Right. You could have drove straight to the Undertaker's and met the sheriff there. Uh, or at least called him from there. And then, but yeah, tell him to meet you at the Undertaker's. This is just not economy. Of, of... <laughs> there, oh, I wrote a thing here about uh, implying that I was listening in. I think I wrote it down. Or I think he said, are you inferring that I'm listening in when uh, <laughs> I was being a grammar Nazi? Oh, <laughs> He says, are you inferring that I was listening in? No, I'm implying that you were listening in. <laughs> but apparently uh, Josh listens in on all the phone calls, which comes up again and again. Uh, anyway, they go to the uh, Undertaker and Eric, or before they go to the Undertaker, he says, Eric Jacobs has been found. I think it's Eric Jacobs. It kind of looks like him, but kind of doesn't. Let's just mm-hmm. go and look at him. And uh, they get there and... He is a Jacobs is a biologist working for Deemer, who is some scientist guy that lives in a big old house outside of town. And so they go yeah. see Bar they go see Barney the Undertaker, and the doctor thinks he knows when he looks at the body, he thinks he knows what the problem is, but the disease takes longer. It takes years to advance to this point. And yeah, and he just he just saw him recently yeah. or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, a couple of people have seen him recently, and he looked fine. So it looks like this disease, but it shouldn't be, given the timeline. Right. And the uh, the professor comes in and confirms that it is Eric. He's known him for 30 years and confirms that it is acromegalia, which is the disease, a pituitary disorder that takes years, but seemed to have developed in four days. Mm-hmm. And it was very painful. And then this guy says some weird... Like, he's like, have you ever watched your friend die and couldn't or something? I don't know. The, the, the other doctor guy says something really weird. And I was just like, he did it. Like, <laughs> why, why he just says something yeah. really suspicious. Well, he was he was questioning him and challenging him on the disease. And he's like, uh, have you ever watched your friend die? And you, there's nothing you could do about it. And it's even worse because you're a doctor and you know what's killing him. You can't do anything I'm like, well, no, but. <laughs> doesn't answer my question of why did this disease happen in four days right uh but he, he says that he was delirious last night and broke out of the house and ran into the desert and uh doc hastings is not buying it mm-hmm. that's our lead our lead character matt hastings matt hastings not buying it he often looks him and this guy often have these moments throughout the movie where he's like all right, sir. I'm calling your bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> then we see the professor. The professor is, is Leo G. Carroll, an older scientist guy in uh, his lab with an apron and gloves and a syringe. And he is putting some, he's got his hands in a box that have gloves built in and he's putting out a dosage of a, of a thing, of a drug or something. And then he goes to all this trouble, and then he just picks the thing up and handles it without his gloves on. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. <laughs> he goes and gives an injection to a white rat, and we see him check on all these animals, and there's different 
charts on them saying uh, what injection on what day, how many days, which um, which ver- version of the serum it is. There's a right guinea pig, and then they're uh, also kind of big, right? Like they're like you can see the different yes. like animals. They're like bigger in size yeah, like, the than they should be. The rat's about the size of a cat. The guinea pig's the size of a dog. Yeah. And there's a tarantula, 22-day-old tarantula, that is the size of a large dog in its uh, cage, which is, again, an actual tarantula with a camera trick to make it look like it's in a class case at the back Mm -hmm. of the lap. It's getting its sixth sixth injection on day 20, and there's a monkey? Yes. So cute. No, if he, I don't know that he ever actually injects the monkey though, because it's just monkey size. Yeah, of... I don't think so. I think he's just like a like an assistant monkey, monkey <laughs> assistant. <laughs> well, I think there's a point when he was going to inject him, and then something happens and stops it. But that yes, that right. So right at this point, I think he's going to inject the monkey. But another deformed guy stumbles in and tries to choke the professor. Mm-hmm. He's all upset about Eric, and he breaks the tarantula case and, and then as slow as possible this spider <laughs> comes <laughs> like walks away just so slowly yeah, and the, the tarantula gets loose and the guy uh injects while the professor's knocked out he injects the serum into the professor and then dies himself and something gets knocked over or something and a fire starts yes the whole lab is on fire yep the professor wakes up gets a fire extinguisher and then we cut to later he's surveying the damage and checking the dead guy and starts to go for the phone and then decides no i'm gonna bury him in the desert (laughs) yeah very very nonchalantly bury him in the desert like maybe well, is, I have done this a few times. Yeah. Well, and it did remind me of that time that we buried that guy in the desert. But oh, um can't see <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, God. monkey coco jumps. I don't... Yes. Oh, it was so bad. So it's like this weird camera thing. It's like a bad edit, I think, is what you're talking about. Like the monkey jumps, but the way that it is edited is like the very like next thing you see, he's like holding the monkey the opposite way like backwards it was just a horrible edit there the monkey's jumping into his arms but he does it in a weird yeah way. yeah yeah you you could tell like someone was like throwing a stuffed animal to him, <laughs> and then like it was like a monkey you know so uh later the doc so i think he just so he's not worried about the tarantula because he assumes that all the animals died so he doesn't right. know that there is a tarantula on the loose i do want to say that unlike many mad scientists we see although we haven't really seen in the movies we've been watching the scientists are usually the heroes Mm -hmm. they haven't usually directly caused the problem but this guy is trying to do a good thing he's not trying to rule the world right or, or create a weapon he is trying to solve world hunger Mm -hmm. and it just it goes wrong so wrong but it didn't necessarily need to go wrong i feel like there is room to follow up on his research but i I think they were going down there we'll get to this in a minute but i think maybe their research was going in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. 
but the doc comes to see the sheriff and uh, gives him some, I'm just a country doctor, but I went to the medical library in Phoenix, so he must have taken his plane. <laughs> and this is, the pre-internet days were rough. He had to get in an airplane and fly to the medical library in Phoenix. Oh, the struggle. To confirm that your theory was right. But he wants to know what, what were they working on out there? The guy was a expert in nutrient biology. I think they're both experts on that. And why are they out there working on it? And Joe Birch, the reporter, shows up. He's mad at the sheriff for not telling him. It's a small town. There's not a lot of news. You find a dead guy in the desert, and then you don't <laughs> tell the local reporter about it. He's going to be a little upset. Probably also, in this sport. scene here with the reporter and stuff, the doc, he kind of reminds me of um, Cooper from Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. Like, just like, it's like his profile or something. There's something about him that kind of just reminds me of Cooper. Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. Also in Dune. Dune. Is that, um, I... First of three versions of Dune. Yeah, I think, isn't there like a new one coming out? Yep. Yep. Yes. Okay. HBO. Thinking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah. He reminds me of that guy a little bit. Like, I don't know if it's the way he looks or like, just like sometimes... The way he like walks just kind of reminds me a little bit of that guy. Like he's obviously bigger and, but I just kept seeing that guy and like, oh, he kind of just reminds me of him. Okay. But they, he wants to investigate, the reporter wants to investigate the dead guy. And then, uh, now usually I write down when the monster arrives, but our monster arrived pretty early. Yeah, I think it was 12 minutes is what I had written down. He just didn't become a monster. I wrote down at 1944, 19 minutes and 44 seconds, the pretty lady arrives. Dun, dun, dun. Requisite pretty lady scientist. Before the male scientist can be any age and any level of attractiveness, but the female scientists must be young pretty ladies. This one is still working on her degree. She's going to the Deemer place. She's been hired as a assistant. Josh is not very helpful at the desk. He's like, well, there won't be a bus around for about two hours. <laughs> and then the doc says, hey, I'm off to the Deemers. And he's like, well, take her with you. So nice. Josh, Josh is uh, looking out for both of them, trying to hook them up. Yeah, this is some good old <laughs> desert weird... hospitality for you. <laughs> There's a weird <laughs> moment when he says, uh, aren't you going to introduce yourselves? And they look at each other and they go, no. <laughs> so after they're several miles into the uh, drive it looks like they finally decide to introduce themselves uh dr matt hastings and stephanie steve clayton i love that they call her steve i did too it did seem it was like, cute uh, it was it was i liked it it did seem like sort of just a random attempt to give her a personality <laughs> but, uh, but I did like it. I think more any Stephanie's out there listening, I think more Stephanie's should go by Steve. Agreed. I always enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy a woman with a man's name. I, like I do too. I really do. I love it. Like Hunter. I've heard Hunter, Dylan, a few. There's a few. Just, that I just really Well, like. those there's some sort of names that can go either way, like Tony or Tracy. or Yeah. That. But I mean like when a girl goes by Bob or... Rusty. Or Danny. I knew uh, Danielle who went by Danny. Yeah, hot. She's doing graduate work in biology. 
Shout out. And here we get a again. This I think the characters being sexist, like in similar movies, character being sexist, movie not necessarily sexist. Where Doc Matt Hastings, who appears to be attracted to this woman, says, "Give the women the vote, and what do you get, ladies scientists?" <laughs> I always find that when I'm attracted to a woman, that if I complain that she has the right to vote, <laughs> that, yeah, that that really, really works I'm, for you. That, yeah. yeah, it does. It Ooh. does. Be surprised. <laughs> but I'd like to do. I'd like to lay a little bit of math on you here. Okay. The 19th Amendment, in which women were given the right to vote, passed in 1919, ratified in 1920. 35 years before this movie was made. John Agar, born in 1921. So presumably his character was also born in 1921. So women have been able to vote his entire life. life. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he have this weird, almost nostalgia for the time before women could vote? Why is it a thing that bothers him? I don't I'll get it. Uh, I'm just going to assume that some much older guy wrote this script. <laughs> yeah, or maybe it's something it's his dad bugging. used to say or something. Who knows? Could be. Could be. Oh, my God. Give women the vote. And what do you get? Lady Lady scientists. So uh, we established that she is going to be staying at Deemer's place. and Which was weird, right? Like, was did you think that was weird? Like, he was like, well... I do need an assistant. And it was, I don't know. It was like, I mean, is she a scientist or is she going to be like a maid? No. Because uh, she did mention that she would be working in the lab and cooking and cleaning. Yeah. I was like, I okay, think, wait I think a second. When you, I think when you're a graduate student, you get the shit work. <laughs> okay. So maybe this, because I was oh, no, this was the sexist. I am assuming there's some sexism involved as well, but also graduate student. But yes, if it was a male graduate student, they probably would not. And what have they been doing for cooking and cleaning up until this point? Yes. They've been working on this for years. Uh, No, just the fact that she was staying there, I didn't find weird because the lab's there and he lives there and it's a big house. Right. Room. But the cooking and cleaning part was, was a little weird. And then the doc just bluntly tells her that the guy that hired her is dead. (laughs) Great bedside manner. No. Well, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you this. It's just like, uh, he's dead. He's dead. He's not coming back. Yeah. Still want a job or not? (laughs) Get in here and make me a sandwich. And then I wrote down tarantula exclamation point. So I think we get a as they drive by, we get a look at the giant tarantula. But yes, he slowly follows behind them, yeah, and they... we can also tell here that he's getting bigger. Yes. Oh yeah, he's he's a little huge at this point. Yeah. So what do I have here? Doc monkey reporter photographer. What? <laughs> <laughs> Did I jump ahead? I don't know. Josh calls. I have Josh calls doctor on his way home. I also have this guy obviously did it written again. I think when they get there is the, the, the monkey and the reporter and the photographer are out there already. Yeah. And then uh, he says, uh, 
Yeah. Oh, yes. Eric told me you were coming, but I wasn't expecting a scientist that looks like you. <laughs> and has to say, that was meant to be a compliment. <laughs> yes. Question mark, was it? It was a pretty rusty compliment there. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's definitely, like, hasn't been socialized in a while. No. <laughs> so they talk about Paul Lund. Yeah, Paul's missing. He's, I guess he did bury him out in the desert and has not acknowledged. He says Paul just left. Right. The professor starts talking about his work. I think at this point, the reporter's left. I think Doc drove him off. He said, uh, he's had a hard day. Give, give him a break. And the reporter and photographer left. And the professor talks about in 1955, there's two, 2 billion people in the world. 2.8 billion. Uh -huh. In 1975, there will be 3 billion. In reality, there was 4.06 billion in 1975. And by 2000, there will be 3 billion. This movie is severely yeah by 2000 there was there was actually no i think he says oh he says the there'll, be three, yeah. there'll be three three billion six hundred twenty five twenty five million there mm -hmm. was actually six point one one four billion Ooh. so about about double uh the world may not be able to produce enough food an inexpensive nutrient is what we need and talk some science mumbo jumbo. So I throughout history, like even back in medieval times, people have been concerned about growing population and how we're going to feed them. And th their concerns have been largely unfounded. We have been, now, there are people in the world who are starving, but not because there isn't enough food. The food is just not distributed evenly. And we are constantly working on this problem, and we seem to be keeping up with the population. Uh, but he is working on a, a nutrient, an inexpensive nutrient that will solve this problem, and it involves a radioactive isotope. Of course, to, it to does. Bind, yes, to bind the solution. Uh, so they throw a little bit of radiation in there, but the uh, serum itself seems to be the real problem and then this and, also is uh, raises the question as to why we are injecting it into people right well the way this nutrient seems to work is that you just give somebody a shot and a, a small syringe full of the nutrient is not only enough to live on but enough to make you grow make the animals grow beyond their normal limits right but, as we discover, this nutrient just causes acromegalia. When it's <laughs> yeah, it just causes monkey face. Here's where I think he's gone down the wrong road. Rather than trying to develop a serum that can be a nutrient to humans, just grow giant cows. Yeah, see, that's, that's what I thought. That's why I guess I was confused as to why we were injecting it into humans because I thought we, he was injecting it into like animals to like, yeah, he, I don't know. I guess I misunderstood. He, he's working on a new, on the nutrient itself, not on a way to make animals larger that it's just doing that, but that's the wrong way to go about it. If it yeah. doesn't work on humans, but it worked on the animals, then just make the animals big and use them for food. And you solve the, the problem of what feed because the nutrient, the animals are just living off this nutrient you save so much farmland, which is then more food. Either use that land for something else, or you use it to grow vegetable food for humans. Right. 
give them a varied diet. You don't have to be feeding, you know, half of your corn to the cows. You're just giving them an injection. So he, he's really messed up <laughs> with his, <laughs> his plan here. Is you know, if they can just kill this one giant tarantula, uh, then everything else can be sorted out easily enough. Once you have the giant cows, the tarantula is not going to be able to eat them. It's only because they're. But the doctor asked the professor if you're sure about Eric and he wants permission for an autopsy. And he's like, sure, fine, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, I was grumpy about it earlier. Yeah. And and then it turns out the professor was right. When he does the autopsy, I think he confirms that it was acromegalia. And the sheriff gives him shit about it. Honeybee, let's take a little break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Welcome back. (laughs) So then we see the professor and Steve doing delicate work with vials of the nutrients. And Steve is getting quite expert at this. And the professor mentions that the batch is very sharply. And they inject a baby rat. And the doc starts rubbing his arm. He doesn't know that he's been injected, but his arm is bothering him. And then Stevie's going to go out. She says, science is science, but a girl must get her hair done. <laughs> work. And I don't think she does get her hair done, though. She, does she not? No, yeah, because then she's wearing a hat. Yeah, well, she leaves wearing a hat, and she's about to run into uh, to the doctor on the street, but she's still wearing the same hat. Her hair still looks the same as it did. Yeah. So I don't know. So, yeah, she goes into town. The doctor rubs his arm. The professor rubs his arm again. She leaves and goes into town and runs into the doctor on the street because it's a small town, and he acts very smarmy. (laughs) And uh, they decide to go sit in the park and talk. Uh, They decide to play hooky. The doctor asks about the assistant that left and how is the nutrient coming. And she talks about the six-day-old rabbit that's huge. Mm-hmm. And the doctor offers to give her a ride back, and they stop on the way to look at rocks. Yes, I. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some pretty rock formations. Uh, I I did the scene of like, oh, the desert is so beautiful. I was like, wow, people think the desert is beautiful. That's crazy. <laughs> I guess because like, I I don't know. We're kind of like desert dwellers and so i don't know it's just like i'm like oh for uh those of you who don't know we live in a a little bit of a desert in west texas and it is fucking ugly (laughs) it is not beautiful but we live in a very flat desert with no beautiful rock formations yeah arizona is much prettier in that sense of like they have like the rocks and the hills there are other parts of texas that are prettier than this oh yeah definitely but but not so deserty yeah the only reason anyone's here is because of the oil. Uh, but the uh, the the music seems to think these rocks are much more impressive than the yeah. Are. The soundtrack is very excited about these rocks, <laughs> like it is just the most majestic thing imaginable. Uh, and then the rocks shift, and 
uh, they're they're not seeing it though. And she's just talking about, oh, it must look great from the air. And he's like, oh, I'll show you sometime. So again, we're underlining that he has his own plane. And is he the one that says it's serene and quiet yet strangely evil? Dun dun dun. And just then, the, and just then, the evil landscape tries to kill them. <laughs> the rock slide and they leave but they don't see the giant spider that actually caused the rock slide when they get to the house she asks if he would like to see the rabbits and he's like oh yeah sure and then the professor acts really weird that she let him in to see the rabbits uh, but the rabbit is breathing funny and the baby rat is doubled in size in just a few hours and then the doctor gets a call from the office now the first time he went out there he told Josh I'm going out to the Deemer place. Mm-hmm. But this time he didn't, we didn't see him do that. I'm just wondering how the hell they knew he was out at the Deemer Yeah. Place. Or does Josh just start calling around town? <laughs> I don't know, but he gets a call and um, it's, Doc wants to discuss it with Deemer. I don't know. What does he want to discuss? Do you remember? Um... Oh, oh, he's just like, oh, I got to go, but I'd like to talk to him about his work some other time. Right. And... Uh, something about I'll call you or do I need to call you or we just get a moment that indicates the romance is going well mm-hmm. because he can she'd like to see him again he can come on out anytime but then the professor gets mad after he leaves he's like what were you doing showing him this is all confidential and we see that his face is beginning yes. to get deformed and he seems unaware of it but then he looks at it when he goes in the lab, he looks at his face and then looks at the needle like he's just noticed for the first time that there was an extra needle laying around on the floor. <laughs> so he's starting to figure out what happened. Why is right. That? And the doc's driving back to town and stops to look at the fallen rocks to maybe figure out why they fell. And the sheriff startles him. He's on his way out to a- Andy Anderson's. And do you want to come along? He's like, do you trust me after the autopsy thing? He's like, I just want the company. I don't want a doctor. I just want the company. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) And we find that there are cows that have been stripped clean. And it's not mountain lions. We've seen that before. They're around here all the time. We've seen that. And that's not how they work. And there's a weird patch of white stuff that nobody knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and then we cut to night and the horses in the pen. Oh, I think they say to, they tell Andy Anderson to gather up your animals to protect them from whatever's going on. Yeah. And, and the horses are in the pen and they're nervous and spooked. And tarantula, the horses panic. Yeah. He just like comes over the mountain <laughs> with his weird spider POV cam. <laughs> Now, they did use models in a few, but they used models for some of the close-ups mm-hmm. and for the ending. Yeah, they did not set an actual tarantula on fire at the end. They used a model. Well, that is good news. There were no but, tarantulas harmed in the making right. of this film. Right. So Andy shoots and then dies with not quite a Wilhelm scream, but Wilhelm adjacent. Close enough. Screamy, yeah. scream, scream. It was a good scream nonetheless. Yes. And then then the truck attack? I wrote down truck attack. Do we get that right after that? So a couple guys driving down the highway and their truck gets um, the tarantula flips their truck and eats them, I guess. The the guy with the horse trailer? Uh I guess so. I, I yeah. Know, 
Shepard's trailer. In the morning, the sheriff, the reporter, the doctor are at the wreck. More bones. So maybe there was a horse trailer. Mm-hmm. Highway patrol is there. Skeletons were in the spot where there was more white goo. There's white goo there now in the spot where the skeletons were. And somebody mentions that there was some of that stuff where Andy was, too. And the doc wants the reporter to, to suppress the story. Minds open, mouths shut, he says. <laughs> he puts the some goo, he takes a sample of the goo and puts it in a thermos, presumably ruining a perfectly good thermos. <laughs> About later related to insect venom, let's ask the humor. I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, well, he does find out later it's related to insect vet. Yes. The Get a phone call. Professor is sick. The professor mm-hmm. interrupts and Steve screams. So the doc rushes over tarantula. Did I skip a part? I don't. The <laughs> next, I have the next thing that I have is the doctor saying, start with Jacob's professor. And I put no one is falling for your silly bullshit, old man. Because <laughs> that's just the look he gives him. That's what I have next. Okay. And, um, and then also that Steve is now taking care of the doctor. Um, he, so not only is now she his assistant, but she is taking care of this sick man. Yeah. He can hardly breathe. His face is worse. Yeah. Give him some water and he says there's nothing you can do. And the professor explains that Eric and Paul injected themselves with the nutrient. Mm-hmm. Isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. Paul went away while unconscious. So he seems to have figured out what went wrong. And you should have seen before the fire. You should have seen the tarantula before the fire. But they all burned. So, yeah, they still haven't. I don't know why I wrote down. I think the tarantula is spying on them again, but they still haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. She there's a few of these moments, too. There's one part where she's like at her window and uh-huh. Tranchi's just like staring in with his big eyes. And she's just right. like getting undressed, walking doing his, around. Uh, doing his King Kong impression. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so the professor collapses and he leave some pills for the pain but he gets in his plane oh, so he's going to do some research I guess about tarantulas he gets in his plane and flies 200 miles where another doctor confirms that it is spider <laughs> venom and then we get another one of these little film presentations that we get in some of these movies his assistant just starts closing the windows like I got that tarantula film ready doctor <laughs> this is the third of these film present film movie within a movie that we have seen and they talk about how tarantulas uh pre-digest with powerful solvent that happens to be white and gooey yep uh what likes are down between desert oh oh he they try to make a phone call for him but the lines are down the tarantula has gotten even bigger okay i know what i've written now (laughs) <laughs> tarantula, the tarantula is even bigger and and we see it knocking down some phone lines or power lines and back at this other doctor's place they try to make a phone call for our doctor and she tells them the lines are down between desert rock and calamite the tarantula is wrecking power lines and then there's a couple of camping cowboys who make fun of college boys with their Geiger counters <laughs> yeah this scene was 
so awkward. I was like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, Random ass characters to just kind of throw in here at the end. Apparently they don't like college boys, though, and their Geiger counters. And then they see the tarantula and run. The tarantula is slow, but this guy keeps falling and his friend keeps helping him. So they both... <laughs> get stomped and uh the doctor lands in his plane and says, call the sheriff get armed men state police out to deemer's place and then the tarantula lock knocks out more power lines steve checks on the professor and the tarantula is now as big as a house which he then sits on <laughs> That's how we can tell he's as big as a house. Professor wakes up very deformed now and is killed as the house collapses under the tarantula. Stevie escapes just as Dr. Matt arrives. Get in, doll face. And uh, and they, they take off and they meet the police coming the other way. And again, we have police that carry submachine guns. I don't know where I can find... I have not looked this up, but I would love to find out when it was common for police to be armed with submachine guns. Well, but also they... another common thing in these movies, too, is the police like, call an airstrike. <laughs> yeah. He says, get just the always planes waiting for a yep. giant monster. Yep. He says, uh, get the submachine guns. They won't stop it. Uh, but they try to slow it down. So they get they get out of the doctor's car and into the state police car and leave a couple of state policemen behind with the doctor's car, which then won't start when the tarantula gets to when it when the guns in fact do not work and they need to get away, the car won't start. Of course. So the tarantula gets them. And they're driving into town and talking about getting dynamite. Apparently Murphy's hardware carries dynamite. Thank you, Murphy's. Thank goodness. Good old so, pop shop. <laughs> they call the air base. They load and tell them to load up with napalm and rockets and whatever they've got. And they take the. We see uh, these planes taking off, and they take the dynamite. They got several boxes of dynamite from Murphy's and set it up in the road in the tarantula's path because I guess the tarantula likes to walk straight down the road. <laughs> Well, he's slow enough that they had all of this time to go to the store, get the dynamite, come back, and he's still just crossing the road. Why did the tarantula cross the road? (laughs) To eat some cows. Uh, Joe, the reporter, is like, I don't believe this tarantula nonsense. Like, well, here it comes. Oh, crap. And they... uh, quickly uh hook the lay out the wires and hook it up to a, from the dynamite to a plunger in the back of the truck put a little space between them and wait for the tarantula to get right over the boxes of dynamite put down that cartoon plunger and boom it doesn't do any good it does nothing i was like wow hi how anticlimactic this is kind of like the same thing as in the beginning when like they were like running around for all of this like pointlessly running around to do whatever it was the same thing here like we just wasted all of that time going to get the dynamite going like setting it up and it didn't even work (laughs) no because apparently when tarantulas get big they get hard i don't tarantulas tarantulas are pretty tarantulas are pretty soft (laughs) i don't know why some dynamite wouldn't take care of it i don't know why these bullets didn't take care of it but uh yeah this tarantula got pretty tough just because it got tough exoskeleton 
Exactly. They don't have those. So why does it act like it's got one now <laughs> just because it's gotten bigger? Yep. But they do a let's get out of here and the spider is heading into town. But the airplanes, the army jets, air force jets that were fortunately nearby mm-hmm. and immediately responded to the request to come shoot this giant tarantula with no, <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> Led, as I said before, by Clint Eastwood, uh, they come in and say, they say, fire, fire two rockets each. Two of the rockets hit the tarantula directly, and then the other ones miss. But it doesn't bother, they don't bother him at all. And then they drop the napalm, and that does the trick. It just, Aww, just sets him on in. fire. Yep, sets him on fire. Clint Eastwood says, dump them all. And they dump all the <laughs> napalm. Dump all the napalm on it. That seems to do it. And the end. Spider the die. Everybody cry. I so I love this movie, but I feel like <laughs> there was enough monster in this movie. The only thing about this one that was kind of different for me was we didn't really get any like like emotionally invested in this monster. Like okay. it was kind of always a monster. You know what right. I mean? Like it it's never the- had a moment of like humanity or whatever i mean it's just it's just an arachnid it's just a just like yeah but but still like with yeah i you're right with the ant it was the same with the ant too i guess but i don't know it just felt like very i don't know you know like with king kong with godzilla with all of those monsters we get like those moments of like just you and the monster where you like feel for the monster or you like love him in some way or whatever and this was just like I think for the most part, all the big bug movies, they're just straight up monsters that need to be killed. There's nothing to identify with. Yeah. Insects and and arachnids, I think, are just so different from us. Uh I mean, there are people in real life who have pet tarantulas and seem to like them, but don't know that the tarantulas actually give a shit. They love them back. Yeah. So uh, it is harder to sympathize with them because they yeah. are so alien to us, and they, yeah, they just don't have the emotional range that primates do, or that apparently dinosaurs do. Yeah. So uh, screw them. <laughs> I I actually um, love tarantulas. Do you? I do. I really do. No, no childhood traumas regarding tarantulas that you need to. Um, I, so there was, I do have a story in elementary school. One of my sixth grade teachers had a tarantula or not one of my teachers, but one of the teachers at the school. Mm -hmm. And one time she was reading. First of all, I think the story was like, she was like holding the tarantula, like showing the class, like holding it. And it stayed in her classroom, but she would like get it out, you know, everyone would be like, Ooh, And then she was reading to the kids and she was like licking her fingers to like turn the pages in the books. And apparently when tarantulas are nervous, they shoot out these poisonous little hairs. So by the end of the story, she, her lips were so swollen that the kids started like freaking out and like, miss, miss, your lips are swelling. And she had to leave for the rest of the day. Because she had an allergic reaction to her own tarantula. Apparently, oh. that had never happened before. No. But that day, um, 
something I guess maybe just the kids had made the tarantula nervous so it had shot these little tiny hairs in her fingers and then she licked her fingers to like turn the pages and her lips got super super swollen oh no so that is my traumatic tarantula story but you know here I am still loving tarantulas (laughs) Uh, the only thing I have is one day a few years ago, I went to open our mailbox and a tarantula dropped out of it. Oh my gosh. That's pretty traumatic. And it just, and I was like, well, hi little guy. How are you? And he's like, he was like, <laughs> back legs, like ready to fight me. And I'm like, are you sure about that, buddy? He's like, get the I fuck just, out of my house. I just, I just left him alone and he wandered off somewhere. I don't know. Didn't see him again, but yeah, we get we get them out here. Oh yeah, after it rains, like it's weird. I always find them in the road too. Um, I haven't seen that many. uh, I think that was the only one I've dealt with. We did have a rattlesnake in the kitchen once. Ooh, yeah, good old desert. That was not great. Called animal control, and they just sent out a couple of deputies who did not have any. You know, I thought they'd have. (laughs) I thought they'd send an animal control guy who had one of those sticks with a little rope at the end, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. He's like, do you have a rake or a hoe or something? I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I got a hoe. And then he just, you know, we moved the stove a little bit and he just pinned it and then got his knife out and cut its head off. And I'm like, well, I Holy shit. Wow. thought I was calling some kind of expert, but. I could have just. I, I mean, <laughs> expert in snake killing, expert in West Texas. Ooh wee. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently, we don't have any sort of professional dog catcher. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Well, that's gonna wrap it up for tarantula. Tarantula. I do want to say, our analytics keep telling me we have all these international <laughs> listeners. And I would like to know if that is true or if they're just Americans using VPNs. (laughs) We see you out there, sneaky, sneaky. Please, if you are listening to us from somewhere outside of the United States, send us a message. And we want to hear from our U.S. listeners. But, you know, I think we have a good idea who those people are and how they found us. Uh, I'm more curious about the international listeners. So, but any of our listeners send us an email at monster movie, fun time, go at gmail.com. Or you can send us a voice message. And if you do, we might play it on the air. Go to anchor.fm slash M M F T G. And you can leave us a voice message there. Yeah. Tell us if you love it. Tell us if you hate it. Uh, We want to know. Tell us how you found out about it and tell all your friends and rate and review us on iTunes and all that good stuff. We have sort of a steady audience, but it's kind of a small one. We would like it to grow. But we love all of you. Hey, Mom. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. And as always, we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Monster Movie Fun Time Go. <laughs> You've been listening to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato folk rock punk featuring Lita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg.